Shabbat Shalom. All right, before we get started, a couple of announcements. This is the last week for signing up for Sukkot. So you have to have a ticket, so please make sure that you do register. Um, Even if um, you've paid, please make sure that you register and have a ticket by going to info at TorahToTheTribes.com. And we're still looking for volunteers for Sukkot. So if you'd like to be a volunteer, lots of work to be done. I say ministry is a great thing, but ministry is truly when you pick up a shovel, start digging a hole because you know that Yahuwah will one day, after all the hard work, fill it with water to overflow. But we need some people to pick up a shovel for Sukkot because we need volunteers. So again, please, info at TorahToTheTribes.com if you want to get involved. We would love to see... Lots of people get stuck in. Let's turn this week, lots of scriptures again. I have a, um, a topical teaching, Lazarus Comes Forth. Because over the past two weeks, we did a recently the teaching on the awakening of Israel because I felt that it was important to backtrack a little bit for our new audience online that had recently awakened in the church and were coming into more of an open mind to the whole of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We've spoken much over the past year in the book of Romans, Hebrews, Galatians about the um, dispersion, the exile, the ten northern tribes, the church, and these phrases and being defined it by scripture rather than religion and theology. And many of us that have been in the Hebrew understanding for some time take these phrases for granted, but a lot of our audience has really been asking, can you clarify these terms more? So I thought, what better way to do it then literally go, as the prophet Isaiah did, line by line, here a little, there a little, precept upon precept. So we put a lot of scripture verses up on the screen for you both here and for our online audience. The Awakening of Israel, part one and two, have been so popular the past few weeks. We've got so much response online and a lot of viewing from our audience because of those big building block pictures about the dispersion and the great answer to the questions that the disciples asked Yahushua in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Master, When will you restore the kingdom to Israel? So in that same vein, I want to teach today, Lazarus comes forth because again, I believe when we look into the parable of Lazarus, we're going to see something so fabulous again talking about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel, answering that great question that was posed to the Messiah. So, put a finger in John chapter 11. Hopefully, you've got your scriptures because I'm going to throw at you multiple, multiple scriptures. Because the best thing that you can do is sit down with your loved ones, sit down with your family members, have a nice cup of tea, and go through the scriptures and say, hey, have you ever thought that maybe this parable is trying to explain a huge kingdom concept to us. But we were blind, but now look, we can see. So let's begin by looking at John chapter 11. Remember the words of Paul when he spoke to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of Elohim in a mystery. In a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, that's sowed, that's the deep, mysterious level of Scripture, which Elohim ordained before the world to our glory. 
which none of the princes of this world, for had they known it, they would have not crucified the master of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which Yahweh hath prepared for them that love him. Meaning, can I get a little bit more audio? Meaning, that if Yahweh had revealed the great mysteries, like the one that we're going to see today in the parable of Lazarus, they would have never crucified the master. Because ultimately, the crucifixion, resurrection of the master enabled the kingdom to come. So many of the prophets inquired about Yahweh, and he did not show them. But he's showing us because we're on the other side of glory. There's still a little bit more audio um, volume so I don't have to feel like I'm competing with my own voice. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 29. The secret things belong to Yahweh our Elohim. But those things that are revealed, they belong to you. Bible students, those of you that are truly seeking Yahweh's word, that are truly seeking his will, the secret things belong and will be revealed to our children forever and ever that we may do all the words of this Torah. He's going to reveal the secret things of the Bible to us because we are seeking his word and walking in his ways. Does everybody see that? It truly is. It truly is. Look what it says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. Yahweh gives wisdom to the wise. And what's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of Yahweh. We should fear him. There should be a healthy fear of Yahweh because that's the beginning of wisdom. And all of us, when we became aware of the Creator, and we became aware of the sin in our lives, did that awaken in you a fear, a healthy kind of fear? Because it certainly did for me. And then comes the wisdom. But when you take a sloppy grace attitude, greasy grace, then there isn't fear, right? But we need to be circumspect because that brings the wisdom and knowledge to them that have understanding. He reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and the, dw- and the light dwells in him. So there are many things in the Bible that have been hidden from us for so many years. Firstly, because we weren't walking the way that we should have been walking. Secondly, because it wasn't the time of which it should be revealed. Because if those things had been revealed before the crucifixion of Yahushua, then the enemies of Yahweh would have never crucified the Son of Glory. But now, if we press in, if we seek Him, and if we truly diligently Look at our Bibles with the way that we're supposed to be, with the fear of Yahuwah. He's going to bring us wisdom so that we're going to see things from a whole new perspective. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 34, it says thus, Yahushua spoke to the multitude in parables. And without a parable, he spoke not to them. Why? Because sometimes you have to tell a story, an allegory, so that you can have the ears to hear and the eyes so that you can see. Without a parable, he spoke not to them, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things that have been kept secret from the days of old. Lazarus is one of those things that was kept secret from the church fathers, kept secret from religion, but now is being revealed in these days because this generation is ready to receive it and go and do the work of resurrection. In Psalm 78 verse 2, 
I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old that we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, showing to the final generation. So to the final generation, these parables are going to come alive. This isn't me making this up. This is the word of Yahweh speaking to you because you have diligently sought him in your life. And now the reward of blessing is coming upon you because you have kicked against the goads. You have entered the narrow gate that leads to life when everybody else was saying, no, come along with us on the broad fair. You've said, no, I just don't see that in my Bible. I'm going to stick with the scriptures. That's a narrow walk. And I know that it causes much angst to those that want to go the broad way. But here is the blessing. Because those prayers of Yahuwah are coming fulfilled in your life. And he says, and this strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob. Jacob is Israel. Jacob struggled. When you struggle with Yahuwah, your name is changed to Israel, and the testimony is Yahusha that is established within you. A testimony of Jacob, it is established within you and appointed a Torah in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. So the house of Jacob, scattered in the nations, will have the Yahusha, the testimony established within them. Do you see that from this very scripture? Yahusha is the testimony that's established within you, the house of Jacob, though you're scattered in the nations, and you'll be the people that will understand the parables of the exile and the return from that exile. This is how you'll identify that you are the last generation. This is just inspiring to me. Look what it says in Psalm 78, verse 6. That the final generation to come might know them, even the children who would be born, who would arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope upon Elohim and not forget the works of El, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart right, and whose ruach was not steadfast with El. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of Elohim and refused to have their walk in his Torah. How familiar is that? And they forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. You see, the covenant and the Torah are not synonymous. You cannot keep the book of the covenant and still walk within the book of the law post-golden calf part of Torah. Not walking in his Torah and covenant identifies a stiff-necked people. A stiff-necked people. Look what it says in First Kings. We spoke about this the past couple of weeks. The garment of Jeroboam. Jeroboam, of course, his garment is shredded into 12 pieces, which is in itself a parable. 1 Kings 11 verse 30. And Achiah grabbed the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take yourself 10 pieces for this says Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel. See, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and I will give 10 tribes to you, O Jeroboam. So here we have the split of the 12 tribes of Israel. The 10 tribes go up north taken into captivity by the Assyrians, scattered into the nations to fulfill the promise given to Abraham, never to be gathered back into the land. 
Sometime later, Judah, the house in the south, becomes rebellious and is carried off into Babylon for captivity, but only for 70 years, and then they are brought back into the land. So the whole purpose of Scripture is, Master, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? When will that garment be one seamless high priestly garment that is for the people to be one new man? This is what the Bible is all about. In fact, there was a professor back in the day at Yale University. His name was Cal Totten, and this is what he wrote back in the last century. I can never be too thankful to the Almighty that in my youth he used the late Professor Wilson to show me the difference between the two houses. The very understanding of this difference is the key by which almost the entire Bible becomes intelligible. And I cannot state too strongly that the man who has not yet seen that Israel of the Scripture is totally distinct from the Jewish people is yet in the very infancy, the mere alphabet of biblical study... At that, this day, the meaning of seven-eighths of the Bible is still shut to his understanding. Seven-eighths of the Bible is shut to your understanding if you cannot grasp the concept of the two houses of Israel. This is powerful, meaning all Jews... The house of Judah are Israelites, but not all Israelites, the house of Ephraim, are Jews. That's huge for some people. The ten northern tribes, the house of Ephraim, or commonly called Joseph, were scattered and assimilated in the nations. They are non-Jewish Israelites awaiting their redemption. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 23. Yahushua says, I was not sent, but for the lost or prostituting sheep of the house of Israel. Those were the people that he was sent to gather. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. When will you, Master, restore the kingdom to Israel? And James chapter 1, post-resurrection to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Very powerful. Now we understand what, of course, the late Professor Totten was talking about. Look what it says in Hosea chapter 8, verse 12. Israel is swallowed up. Now shall they be among the nations as a vessel in which there is no pleasure. For they have gone up to Ashur, a wild donkey alone by himself. Ephraim has hired lovers. Yes, though they have sold themselves to idols among the nations, now will I gather them. After they have suffered a little from the burden of a king and rulers... Because Ephraim has made many altars for sin, the altars shall be counted to him as sin. I have written to him the great and numerous things from my Torah, but they were counted as a strange thing. Is that evangelical Christianity summed up by the Bible? Caught up in idolatry, paying vicars and pastors to preach you a message of greasy grace, and your altars are full of papal sin and abominations of syncretism. And if you, even somebody speaks to you about the law and the Torah, well, you just think that is a strange Jewish thing that's got nothing to do with your faith. These are the words of the prophets that ring true to us in this very, very generation. Look at John now. We are looking again 
at the parable of Lazarus because there is a mystery about to be revealed. Lazarus is the mystery. Lazarus details, we shall find, the house of Jacob in exile. The restored kingdom is hidden within the very account of Lazarus. By using the scripture, I hope today, as a dictionary for the scripture and letting the scripture interpret the scripture, we're going to be able to see something most, most amazing. So amazing, in fact, that the prophets were searching and inquiring of Yahuwah for the answer. But that answer wasn't given to them. Precisely because if it had have been given to them, the word would have got out and they wouldn't have crucified the son of glory. Does that make sense? But the prophets were inquiring of what is to be revealed to us in this generation. Now there was a certain man, he was sick, named El Azar in the Hebrew, or Lazarus, of Bethania, the town of Miriam and her sister Martha. John chapter 11. Turn there, because remember, we're going to look at this parable because it's going to talk to us about the exile and the return. First Peter tells us in chapter 1, verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come to you. Grace empowers you to keep the commandments because you are seeking and searching for the will of Yahuwah in your life. Ezekiel 34, verse 4, associates the sick with departing from Torah and going into exile. Lazarus was what? He was sick. So Lazarus is a parable about the house of Jacob that departed from the Torah and they went into exile and are counted as dead. Ezekiel 34, verse 4. The diseased have you not strengthened, neither have you healed those who were sick. Neither have you bound up those who were broken, neither have you brought back those who were driven away. Were you driven away, house of Jacob, into exile because you disobeyed the commandments of Yahuwah? Were you? Yes, you were. Neither have you sought that which was lost. Yahushua said, I have not come but for the lost sheep of the house of Jacob. But with force and cruelty have you ruled over them. Of course, I believe as an Englishman that speaks to the medieval times. Think about the force and cruelty of which the believers in Yahushua were ruled by the kings and queens of England especially. Hosea tells us in the 5th chapter and the 13th verse, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, there's a difference. Ephraim is sick, but Judah is wounded. Ephraim goes into the nations by the capture of the Assyrians and is sick unto death, never to return. But Judah has a wound, a wound that is healed after 70 years of restoration. There's a difference between a sickness and a wound. Then went Ephraim to the Assyrian and sent to King Jareb, yet could he not heal you nor cure you of your wound. Exile is sickness. There is no fix for sickness, but a need for complete supernatural healing. And that healing only comes about by the work of the great physician Yahushua. Whereas Judah was only wounded, taken into captivity in Babylon until the wound mended, right? You see, Lazarus is linked to El-Azar. El-Azar means El is my help. El-Azar. Lazarus actually means Elohim is my help. 
El Azar. Just keep that as we go into the parable. Elohim is my help. Elohim is my help. And Bethania, what does Bethania mean in the parable? It means the house of the lowly or the house of sickness. So there's a hint there. Now, Mary and Martha, if you look at those two names using the Strongs and you go back into the paleo, into the root words, you can see Mary and Martha means to be rebellious. So you've got two rebellious sisters. Where does that link you to, Bible students? That links you to Ezekiel chapter 23, verse 1, and Jeremiah chapter 3. Who are the two rebellious sisters? The house of Israel and the house of Judah. Okay, so now we're starting to think like Bible students because Yahweh has got the parable for us. The mystery is about to be revealed. And we've read through it, read through it, read through it hundreds of times, but we miss the point of the parable because it wasn't until the last generation that our eyes would be opened. So we've got two rebellious sisters. So the two rebellious sisters, Ephraim and Judah, were taken into exile for departing from Torah, and they ended up where? In Bethania, the house of the lowly or the house of sickness, where they will meet Lazarus, my help is Elohim, and Elohim is going to be, in fact, their only help from sickness, famine, and disease. So the house of Israel shattered first. The exile first happened, first kings Chapter 17 in the Galilee. When the Assyrians came, they came into the Galilee. They worked their whole way around the Sea of Galilee. Then they went all the way up into the hill country. So to fix the problem, where are you going to go to? Where it broke. So where does Yahushua go to preach the restoration of the kingdom to Israel? Does he go to Tel Dan? Or does he go to the point where the break happened? Is that where he's going to apply the ointment? He goes right down to the Galilee because that's where the Assyrians came in and broke the kingdom of Israel. So this makes sense now as we read the Bible more and more and more. Matthew chapter 4 verse 23. Yahushua went about all Galilee to the point of the break, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What gospel was he preaching? The gospel of the kingdom. This is none other than the restoration of the kingdom to Israel and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. So we're talking about restoring those from the exile. John chapter 11, going back to our text of Lazarus. It was that Miriam who anointed Yahushua with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus, or El Azar, was sick. Therefore his sisters sent to him, saying, Master, see whom you love is sick. Who does Yahuwah love? Who does he love? Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6. For you are a holy people to Yahuwah your Elohim. Yahuwah your Elohim has chosen you to be a special people to himself. Above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Yahuwah did not set his love upon you. Nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But because Yahuwah loved you. And because he would keep the oath which he had sworn to your fathers, we find that Yahuwah loves Israel because he swore an oath to Abraham in Genesis 12 to fulfill the prophecies of regathering from the exile. John chapter 11 verse 4, going back to our parable of Lazarus. When Yahushua heard that, he said, this sickness is not what? It's not unto death. But for the glory of Yahweh is this sickness, 
that the Son of Yahuwah might be esteemed by this. The exile is not the death of us. It's not the death of us. We are going to be redeemed from the nations. Come out of her, my people. Come out of Babylon. We are going to be redeemed from the nations. Look what Isaiah says in the 44th chapter and the 23rd verse. Oh, sing, O heavens, for Yahweh has done it. Shout, you depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For Yahweh has redeemed Jacob and lifted himself up in Israel. Isaiah the prophet tells us, Listen, O coastlands, you are my servant, O Israel, through whom I will be lifted up. Yahushua had to be lifted up so that we could be returned from the exile. This is the great mystery that was not revealed to the prophets because they would have then not crucified the Son of Glory. Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 21. So I'm bouncing back and forth between John 11 and various supporting scriptures that support the parable that Lazarus is about the house of Jacob in exile, in case you're wondering what I'm doing. Does everyone understand that? Just don't want you to think, well, why, why does he keep bouncing back and forth? I'm using... John chapter 11 as a foundational text, but I want to give you supporting scripture for that interpretation. I don't want you just to go along with me and believe everything that I'm saying. We need to go and look in the scripture to make sure these things are so. That's the great adventure of the Bible, isn't it? I love doing that. Ezekiel 39 verse 21. And I will set my glory among the Gentiles, and all the Gentiles shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am Yahweh. I'm Yahweh their Elohim from that day and forward. And the Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into exile for their iniquity. Because they trespassed against me. Therefore, I will hide my face from them and gave them into the hand of their enemies. So they fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgression, have I done this to them and have hid my face from them. Therefore, this says the master Yahweh. Now will I bring back again the exiles of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel. That's the restored garment of Jeroboam. And will be jealous for my holy name. After they have borne their shame and all their trespasses by which they have trespassed against me, when they have dwelt safely in their land with no one to make them afraid, When I have brought them back again from the nations and gathered them out of their enemies' lands and are made holy through them in the sight of many nations. Then, when, then shall they know that I am Yahuwah their Elohim, who caused them to be led into exile among the Gentiles. But I have gathered them to their own land and have left none of them there anymore. Neither will I hide my face from them anymore, for I have poured out my spirit, my Holy Spirit, Upon the house of Israel, says the master Yahweh. This is showing us the plan of the creator. That you think you're Gentiles? No. You're the house of Israel scattered in the nation. And you have returned from your transgressions. And he is going to restore you back into the full promises. Who are you? What's your identity? If you believe that you're a pagan Gentile, you'll behave like a pagan Gentile. But if you believe that you're the king's kids, you'll behave like the king's kids. You'll come to the king's table, eat what's on his table. You'll come to his holidays and festivals, and you'll rest when he wants to rest because you're part of his family. See how that changes everything? We're the king's kids. 
That's our worldview. It's a biblical worldview, going back to the parable of Lazarus. Now we're in verse 5 of chapter 11 of the book of John. Now Yahushua, he loved Martha, and he loved her sister, and Eleazar, Lazarus. When he had heard that he was sick, he stayed for how long? Two days, still in the same place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let us go into Judah again. So a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. The master is going to dwell with us for 2,000 years. And then when? Then he's going to go to the house of Judah or the Jews again after being in the exile with Ephraim for 2,000 years. And that's why it's important that that teaching, the migration of Judah that we did, goes out because we have to identify who are the real Jews because there are imposters and we have to be careful of fraud. Look at John chapter 11, verse 8. And his disciples said to him, Master, the Jews recently sought to stone you and you go there again? And Yahushua answered, there not 12 hours in the day? Are there not 12 tribes in the whole house that are scattered abroad? James chapter 1 verse 1 and look at verse 9. If any man walks in the day he stumbles not because he sees the light of the world. Now let's look into that phrase because that has a dedicated meaning. Joshua Chapter 22, verse 5, walking in the day is a Hebrew idiom for walking in the commandments. But take diligent heed to do the commandments and the Torah, which Moses, the servant of Yahweh, charged you to do. To love Yahweh your Elohim and to have your walk in his ways, the day. And to keep his commandments and to cleave to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your being. Isaiah the prophet tells us, And many nations shall go and say, Come and let us make Aliyah to the mountain of Yahuwah. Let's go up to the mountains of Yahuwah, to the house of Elohim, the Elohim of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways and we will have our walk in his paths For out of Zion shall come forth the Torah and the word of Yahuwah from Jerusalem. This is what happens when you walk in the day. Isaiah 42 verse 24. Who gave Jacob for a plunder and Israel to robbers? Did not Yahuwah? He against whom we have sinned? For they would not have their walk in his ways, neither were they obedient to his Torah. It becomes a synonymous thing, does it not? Now we go back to our parable, John chapter 11, and we're working down into the 10th verse. But if a man walks in the night, he stumbles because there is no light in him. He's departed from Torah. He's walking in the night. He's in darkness. He's following a papal system of religion, and he can't see the wood for the trees. Can't see the wood for the trees. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23. Walking in the night is exile. There is no light. There is no Torah. For the commandment are a lamp and the Torah is a light. So if you're in the dark, you don't have the Torah. You're not keeping the commandments of Yahweh. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Look what it says in Psalms 119. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn and I will perform it. That I will keep your Zadik Mishpatim, righteous judgments. This is powerful as we unravel these phrases, dedicated phrases in the parable of Lazarus that so oftentimes we can just buzz through and miss the deep meaning. Look at the 11th verse of our parable in John 11. The question we have to ask ourselves is, do we have a spirit of slumber 
or do we have an awakened spirit? Do we have a spirit of slumber or do we have an awakened spirit? Can you even comprehend what I'm trying to communicate to you right now? Because that really will answer your question. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Elazar sleeps, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. When I started to come into the Torah, the teachings and instructions of Yahuwah, I felt that I had got woken up out of a fog. I was in this church fog. And I have been awoken from sleep. The spirit of slumber has gone and I am awake and on fire with clarity that I can see the scriptures like I never had before. Look what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel says that sleeps and dead are synonymous terms referring to Ezekiel's prophecy in Ezekiel 37 verse 11. Lazarus is coming forth. Look at Ezekiel 37, 11. Then he said to me, Ben-Adam, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. This is talking about the body of Lazarus. These bones are the whole house of Israel. See, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this says the master Yahuwah, see, O my people, I will open up your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves. Lazarus, come forth and bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am Yahuwah when I have opened your graves, O my people. And brought you up out of your graves and shall put my Ruach HaKodesh in you. So I don't think it's a far stretch when I'm trying to communicate to you that the parable about Lazarus is about what? The return from the exile. Because the Bible tells us that's exactly what it's about. Because some people would say, oh Matthew, you're making it up. That's such a stretch. No, it's not. We need to read more scripture and we'll understand that that's what the parable was always meant to talk and communicate to us about. Isaiah tells us that woken from sleep, dead individuals, a dead body with many parts being raised up as one new man, entering into the temple of Yahuwah. Even though we've been hidden in the nations for 2,000 years, our time is over. Look, thy dead man shall live, together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of the herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter into thy chambers, and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation was overpassed. We were hidden in the nations for 2,000 years, but the indignation has passed. It's time to awaken up and come back into the revelation of who we really are. It's time to cast off our moth-eaten garments full of holes, full of pagan doctrine, and put on the royal priestly garments. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of Yahuwah. Awake as in the ancient days, in the generations of old, says Isaiah in 51 verse 9. And in Isaiah 52 verse 1, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments. So the scriptures, the prophets tell us that we were asleep, which is dead, in slumber, having no idea who we were caught up with moth-eaten garments full of pagan doctrines and altars full of sin. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 1 says thus, The heavenly messenger that talked with me again and woke me up as a man that is awakened out of his sleep. As a man who is awakened out of his sleep. Now we can see what this means in the context of John chapter 11, verse 12. Then said his disciples, Master, if he sleeps, he shall get well. But Yahushua spoke of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest in sleep. Then said Yahushua to them plainly, El Azar is dead. 
And I am glad for your sake that I wasn't even there. To the intent that you may believe, nevertheless, let us go to him. Yahushua is glad. He is glad that he hasn't been around for any of you for the past 2,000 years because he has been sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for you for the past 2,000 years on each and every one of yours behalf. He's glad that he hasn't been here for 2,000 years. Or are you going to be like the people as in the days of Moses? Hmm. Well, we know not what has happened to him. Oh, a long, go- long time gone and he's up the hill. We, when, well, maybe we should build a golden calf. Will you be like that, people? Or will you be waiting expectantly for his return? Because his absence has always been a test. It was always a test. Even in the days of Moses, it was a test to see that we may believe. When we pass the test and believe, then what happens? Look, he comes to us. Does he not? When you pass the test and believe, he comes to you. The moment that I believed is the moment that he revealed himself to me. The moment that you guys believed in him, I mean truly believed, wasn't that the moment that he came to you? Look what he just says. I'm glad for your sake that I was not there. To the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, now I'm going to come to you. Luke chapter 3 verse 8. Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham our father. For I say unto you that Yahweh is able to take these stones, dead graven images, graven stones, and to raise up children unto Abraham. You're going to be living stones. Living stones. Look what it says in James. Because This is our story. This is our life, is it not? There were 99 sheep, but one sheep goes off. There were 10 coins, but one coin is lost. We've all taken a journey into a far country, have we not? We've all taken a journey into a far country. And there we wasted our substance on riotous living on riotous living. But it's only when we see the famine in our own land. It's only when we see the famine in our own land, our own life, and begin to be in want of a holy life that we realize we've been living an unclean existence, slopping with the pigs. That is when we start the long journey back to our father's house. And what is so amazing about that is that I never knew that my father would have so much love and compassion upon me that he would be so happy to see me that he would kill the fatted calf. And you know what? I was also shocked to find that my religious brothers and sisters would resent my return I didn't grow up in religion. I didn't grow up in the church. And all of a sudden, I came walking into Calvary Chapel on fire. And, you know, I was put to work. And people were like, who is this person? He was a heathen a year ago. Why is he teaching? Why is he leading the college group? I, was, I couldn't understand why there was so much resentfulness. And then I started to read the Bible. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. This parable is my life. This parable is your life because it's about our return from sin and iniquity. But it only happens when you go, oh my goodness, there is a famine in my land. There is a famine. I have tried everything. I have tried to feed myself on every fatted calf of the nations and I have ended up sick, twisted and depraved. And now... My body is eating itself with disease. Then I began the return. As many of you have that same testimony. 
Look at James chapter 5, verse 15. And the prayer of faith, or the faithful person's prayers, shall save the sick, the sick, those in exile, and the master shall raise him up, who you really are, show you who you really are in Messiah. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven of him. He washes us all clean. It's so inspiring to see the journey over decades and decades and decades. John chapter 11, now we come into the 17th verse. Then Yahushua came and he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Yahushua was coming, she went and met him. But Mary, well, she was still in the house. You see, death and exile is going to be 4,000 years from the promise of Genesis chapter 15 the covenant between the pieces. It's going to be 4,000 years from the covenant between the pieces. The comforting of Zion, many of the Jews came to comfort them concerning their brother. That's what this is. This is a parable about the comforting of Zion. Look at the 21st verse. As we go through this, think about this for a moment. Martha is a sowed, a mystery. She really speaks of Christianity that wants to meet Yahushua, whereas Mary is a sowed for Judaism. Judaism sits in the house, which is an idiom for sitting in yeshiva and studying Talmud and Torah. Mary doesn't understand 10 Israel's resurrection in verse 24 because her faith is only a future faith about her own resurrection. Think about it. When we were in traditional Christianity, wasn't it all about the rapture and our own personal resurrection? Did we even think about the kingdom of Israel outside of ourselves? Or was it, I'm saved, I have grace, and I'm going to be raised and raptured out of here? But no, that is the thinking that we see in this parable. It limits your vision, and you don't come into the fullness. Then said Martha unto Yahushua, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother would have not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of Elohim, Elohim will give it thee. Yahushua said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Yahushua said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Look at John chapter 11, verse 26. fact, I'm going to go back a little. I may have jumped a bit forward. Give me a second here. Bear with me. A lot of scriptures. I may have lost my my way no we're good sorry I'm just making sure it seemed that I had gone Far, far ahead. But I believe I'm back on track, so thank you for that. Sorry. Let's look at um, 
John chapter 11, verse 26, the parable of Lazarus. And whoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And believest thou this? And she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Messiah, the yet son of Yahuwah, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The master is come. The master is come and calleth for thee. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Look at verse 26. The question that we have to have and that we must ask ourselves is, do you have belief? Do you have the belief today? Or is your belief only about the future and the past? Because past belief and future belief isn't the belief of the saints. The belief of the saints is today if you hear his voice. That's what carries you through. Today belief. Do you have that belief today? Today, if you hear his voice. Because look at verse 28. She didn't understand Lazarus' resurrection was a sign of Jacob's resurrection in the exile. She didn't understand that. Just like unto today, the traditional institutionalized church saying, Oh, I I know the Savior. Sure, I know the Savior. I know I'll be raised up. And then going away, not wanting to hear any more. But there is so much more. It's not about just you and your resurrection. There is something far greater here. Master, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? You can't just say, no, I don't want to hear anymore and go your way. That's not the answer. That is not the answer for the true disciples of Yahushua. Look at the 30th verse of John chapter 11. Now, Yahushua was not yet come into town, but was in the place where Martha met him. And the Jews then, which were in the house, comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then, when Mary was come where Yahushua was, And saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother would not have died. When Yahushua therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit, and he was deeply, deeply troubled. You see, the Jews, from time memorial, have always asked the question, If Yahushua, who opened the eyes of the blind, is really the Messiah, then why didn't he regather the tribes of Israel? That's the reason that they reject Yahushua as the Messiah. Well, if he truly is the Messiah and he opened the eyes of the blind, then why on earth didn't he do the work of Messiah, which is to regather the tribes of Israel into one house? But his intimate friends, look at the scripture, his intimate friends, the disciples are upset with him that Jacob's still in exile. And that's why his disciples in intimate friends, they said, Master, But Jacob's still in exile. When will you restore the kingdom to Israel? They were upset with him. Look at verse 39. We have to take away the stony heart. Then, when that stony heart is taken away, the mystery of Lazarus is revealed. Because Jeremiah 31, verse 31 says that the commandments will be written on your very heart, not on hearts of stone. Look at verse 39. Martha, the traditional church, still doesn't get it. Still doesn't get it. Thinking, well, the Old Testament law, that stinketh. We don't want to have anything to do with that. That stinketh. Right? Wrong. But you see, that's the problem. Verse 34, and said, where have ye laid him? And they said unto him, 
Lord, come and see. Yahushua wept. Then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? And that's what the Jews have said for thousands of years. If he's the Messiah and he truly opened the eyes of the blind, then why didn't he restore the kingdom to Israel? We reject that man because the Messiah of the Bible that we've been reading about for thousands of years is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. So as disciples, we haven't borne witness of Messiah because we haven't gone out and declared that he's actually doing this. And you wonder why they don't believe. Because you're not teaching a biblical gospel. You're teaching religious theology. That's why they don't understand. Have the cause not even this man should not have died? Verse 38. Yahushua therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. And Yahushua said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead for four days. It's been 4,000 years since we broke the covenant at the golden calf. 4,000 years since the covenant was given to Abraham. Just under that, that we broke the covenant at the golden calf. And it stinketh because we have walked away from his commandments. And it stinketh. We need to return to the covenant of Yahuwah because that's where life and healing truly is. And now we can look at the conclusion of this parable in the 40th verse of John chapter 11. Yahushua saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou wouldest see the glory of Yahuwah. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Yahushua lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Yahushua said unto him, Loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. Verse 40. Don't you understand that I'll regather, says the master? Don't you even understand that I'll regather? Verse 44, loose him. Go, you, go, teach the Torah and the covenants of promise. You're loosed. Go do the work. True discipleship has always been about Yahushua raising us from our sins, raising people from their graves clothes. We're supposed to go out and unbind people and untangle them from dead things so that they can walk in the light of day, so that they can walk in the commandments, which is truly liberty. Because that is the recipe for bringing about the end of the exile. And that is what is being proclaimed in this generation. We just need to have a louder voice and more people doing it because this generation is seeing more people bound up in sin and iniquity than we have seen in generations and generations. The amount of abuse and immorality and idolatry There was a time when in this nation there was, yes, lawlessness and, yes, there was the unchurched. But now because of immigration, we have all of these people from all different nations coming in and bringing their idols with them. You go into a restaurant 
and it's run by an Indonesian. The next thing you know, you've got their graven images and idols at the cash register. You go to a nail parlor and you're bombarded with their graven images and idols. The gods of the world are amongst us like never before in this nation. And it is influencing the lost because they've never heard the gospel message, which is the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. So we have lots, lots of work to do. But this parable is about our identity and about our return. Lazarus comes forth, awakened from sleep and slumber in these days. But you know what? So many people don't want to hear it. They're just going to keep on going. Are you a Mary? Are you a Martha? Will you hear? Will you see? And will the scales fall so that we can continue with this great work? Because we have a vehicle here in this ministry to reach thousands. And then each person goes and shares. There will be and is an awakening. An awakening. An awakening from the spirit of slumber. Like never before, return, return to his Sabbaths, his feasts, his festivals. Keep the commandments and cleanse the inner man. This brings the resurrection life. And I think this parable is something that was always there for us to see. But it was timing. Because if we had understood it earlier, as the prophets had inquired, then they would have never crucified the son of glory. Comments, questions, anybody, anything at all? Maybe, no? Lot to take in. Hopefully you wrote down those Bible verses. Study it in your own time. And look at those backing scriptures that support dead bodies, resurrection, life, blind eyes open, you shall see. I from Isaiah 61 forward, you see this. It is the restoration of Zion, the awakening of Zion, biblical Zion and biblical Israel. Abba, we ask that you would truly bring forth the body, bring forth the body of Jacob from the exile, raised to glory in these days. The Abba, that people would be awakened in these days to who we truly are, no longer lost, no longer slumbering, but gathered in by the resurrection and the life that is our master, Yahushua, that he would come visit us in the house of the lowly and heal us from our sickness, heal us from our wounds. We pray this in Yahushua's mighty name. Amen. Amen.